Hi there and welcome to the 1014 Rugby, the global rugby club, and we're bringing you rugby content based on passion, integrity and respect, and today... Today we've got a new, young, up-and-coming, ambitious rugby coach, an Irishman, now coaching and learning his trade in Germany, professional coach Gordon Hanlon. Gordon's from Ireland, he's lived in South Africa, he's coached in the USA and Portugal, and now in the Rugby Bundesliga with Hans Usain, and he's also travelled the world up, up in your skills, Gordon, and all the way down to New Zealand here with the International High Performance Unit in the Crusaders and Canterbury Rugby. So it's a real pleasure to have you online, Gordon. You're in Europe. We've just finished the Six Nations and there's 35 teams in Europe battling it out in various relegation promotion battles. Below the Six Nations. Below the Six Nations. They have no way into the top poker table in rugby, world rugby. Yeah. Gordon's on the ground there, and hopefully we'll get a little bit of an insight as to what's going on over in Europe, Gordon. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, really excited to be here. It's um, now Europe is very diverse, and it's a fascinating um, how the rugby can be so different, uh, different levels. Um, and it's it's really like you said, it's a lot of teams here and a lot of teams trying to do different things. Um, so it's 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 really exciting to be here, Gordon. Like. Not us alone, like we're massive rugby fans and we know very, very little about what's going on in Europe outside of the Six Nations, outside of Tier 1. Can you tell us a little bit about the competition structures? And, you know, we are, Georgia have made it into mainstream media now. People are saying that, that, you know, they're knocking on the door, they're equipped, they're ready to get into the Six Nations, they're close to that standard. But that's one of 35 teams. Can you tell us a little bit about the structure underneath the Six Nations? Yeah, so... Um as you know, the Six Nations is a privately owned and run uh, competition. Uh, underneath that is uh, Rugby Europe, as um, and they have split into two things. So there's the Rugby Europe Championship, which has Georgia, Romania, uh, Spain, Russia, Belgium, and Germany. And then there's the trophy below that, which consists of Portugal, the Netherlands, um, Moldova, Ukraine, uh, Switzerland, these kind of countries. And so they're the two main Rugby Europe championships. And then below them is the rest of all the teams. There's your, your conferences, like one conference consists of Luxembourg, Finland, Denmark, Norway, Estonia. Um, and it's a promotion relegation system. Yeah. So everyone wants to be in the championship or, or get into the trophy. And it's um, a relegation promotion, as I said, between championship and trophy. So first place in the trophy will play last place in the championship to who decides to go up. Okay. Kind of like what Georgia Georgia want with Italy. Yeah. Is it fluid, <laughs> Gordon? Is it, like, are the top, say, six teams in the championship usually the same teams year on year and the trophy? Or is it a fluid? Do, is it promotion relegation active? Um, yes and no. So if if a team, like, like Germany's had a bad uh, run this year, um, if they go down, it's they may stay down in the trophy for three or four years. Um, so Portugal went down, were relegated three seasons ago, and they've won the trophy for the last two years now. Um, they have their playoff game coming up at the end of April, yeah. but they were beaten pretty pretty handily by Belgium uh, last year. Okay. Okay, and well, they'll, they'll, presumably they'll be facing Germany this year, who who who, who finished last in the championship. <laughs> Um, they they might be that the whole thing is uh, kind of up in the air at the moment. Um, 
I guess we could talk about that later. The the, the problems regarding the championship. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Stick to the right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. we can probably get to that. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. And probably, and that's probably one of the main yeah. reasons why the, the the second tier of of European rugby has has come into mainstream media more than usual, more than just the Georgians who have you know been sitting and knocking on their table for quite some time. Yeah. And when it's not in World Cup season, you know, we're not getting Portugal or or Spain or you know or Georgia. At the top table at the World Cup, you only unfortunately get news when something happens. Yeah, we're going to touch on that later on. Um, there's, there's there's so much going on down there, and we we hear about Georgia, we know about Romania. Are there other teams there, Gordon, that you can see that are putting this infrastructure in place for the long term gain of rugby foothold in those countries that we may see in the next two or three World Cup cycles? In your opinion. Um, you know, that we may not have seen before at World Cups? Um, yes. So you, you look at Spain. Spain is really, really developed. They've kind of gone through the uh, Ireland football uh, route. Uh, there's a lot of uh, French parents or uh, grandparents. Um, they are developing their own local players. But it, if you look at Spain, they're inconsistent because if they get all of their players from Pro D2 or Top 14, then they're a really good team. Yeah. If they aren't released from their clubs, then they are they, they will struggle. Yeah. Um, Ru- Russia has uh, two professional teams uh, funded by uh, very wealthy men, uh, Krasny Yar and Einstein. So um, Connex went to play one of them in Siberia two years That's ago. That's right. Yeah. 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 So so there there's a lot of money into going into the Russian rugby. They're developing their athletes. Um, could they take the step up to the World Cup? I I, I don't know about that myself. Um, and then the same thing with uh, Belgium. They have a lot of French uh, players from the top 14 and Pro D2. So if they get their players, they they can knock off uh, most teams. If not, it's a struggle. So that's, that's a really interesting point there that I hadn't considered, is that these countries don't get access to their players. Presumably, like the Six Nations teams, they, they have written into the contract that if you want to go and play wherever you've got to be released for the six nations yeah. but they, these countries here at the, at the lower levels don't have that luxury is that is it would that be a reasonably correct statement yes it would so it, it's uh, the federation would make a request and then sometimes the players themselves would have to request the time off from their clubs yeah um so what they do is they try and pick pick their game. So Spain, when they when they played Georgia in this current championship, didn't ask for any players to be released. So uh, it's kind of like they went into the game knowing it'd be a struggle, but they wanted to, you know, they wanted to keep their powder dry for the more important games. Um, I know Germany struggles. I know Portugal uh, struggled last year a lot. They they have some some good players playing in France but they could only be released for one or two games. So it really is a struggle for them to put their best teams on the field. How was the rugby, like the championship this year, Gordon? Can you tell us a little bit about the rugby in it? What kind of rugby we're seeing? Is it ambitious? Is it mirroring what's going on in the Six Nations at a lower level? But are they playing in similar types of fashion? Um, Yeah, so, well, Georgia, as you said, won again. So I think that's their ninth uh, championship in 11 years. Um, the Georgians are trying to grow and develop their backline to be able to compete at the same level as their forwards yeah. do. Um, 
that's their main weakness. They know that Georgia, they, they, they grind teams out, they're physical, they're powerful, but they can't really open defences. Um, Romanians have a lot of uh, Pacific Islanders in their team, very large men. Oh, wow. Um, but their backline, yeah, their backline kind of struggled a little bit yeah. uh, with uh, fitness and, and decision-making. Um, the Spaniards are trying to play a fast and a fluid game. Um, like Spain beat Romania, which they beat them, 22-10, which was a massive result for Spanish rugby. Um, That's huge. And was that, do you the, think the Russians, on, yeah. on the back of the, like the Romanians, the fitness and decision-making issues they've got, and the Spanish coming at it with a different you know, different way of playing, a different mentality, this throw the ball around, perhaps, I'm, I'm not sure, and sort of running them off the park? Was that, like, this is, you know, you'd expect, you know, if you're looking from mainstream media, you'd expect Romania to beat Spain. Yeah. But this seems that actually in the detail, it's not too too dissimilar from teams on the top tier as well when you can run them around and manipulate them. So it's very interesting. No, not at all. So, um, yeah, so uh, also Germany beat Romania um, last season when Germany had their uh, professional players and their German sevens players all in the squad. So the seven, sevens players were able to just run around Romania. Um, is sevens it's, having a, a big impact? Sorry, Gordon, to jump across. Is sevens having yeah. a big impact on the Olympic programs on 15s in Europe? Um, in certain countries, I believe it is, yes. Yeah. So there, there isn't a, well, in Germany there is now, but in other countries like Portugal and Spain and stuff, there isn't quite that distinct split between sevens players and 15s. Okay. So uh, that, that was part of Portugal's downfall, why they went out of the top division, out of the World Series, because the players were having to play club rugby, do sevens, uh, travel a lot, and then do 15s. So they, it wasn't really two dedicated squads. Yeah. Um, they're trying to change that now, but... There just isn't the um, the player pool to be able to split and or the resources to split into the, the two forms of the game. So a lot of the smaller nations will struggle in, in that guys have to have to play both. So they don't really get a rest, they don't get a recovery, and they don't become experts in either of the games. Yeah. And what about the um, the Russians? What was the, the flavor of their play in, in this season's um, tournament? Uh, they're big, they're strong, they're very physical. Um, they are, again, so the, they suffer from the same thing in that the competition at the, the local level or, or in Russia itself isn't great. Um, their teams were playing in the Challenge Cup um, and they're, they're, they're getting better, but they just just don't have enough quality test games yeah. to be able to, to test their structures. Yeah. What, what would be the biggest thing that frustrates you as a coach there? You've, you've coached athletes in New Zealand, the United States, Lisbon, or in Portugal, and now in Germany. Mm. What would you say is the biggest frustration for you? Um, not a frustration, but the observation for the biggest difference for me is there's no black jersey. So in, in New Zealand, you're able to get these players to sacrifice an awful lot because of the allure of the black jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, take for in Portugal, for example, we had a lot of very talented rugby players. Um, we had a young Portuguese guy who was actually at the Crusaders Academy for a year. We had there was two other guys who went to St Andrews, I believe. One was offered a full academy position, or he could go back home, uh, be fast tracked to become a partner in his grandfather's law firm, which is the largest law firm in the country. Yeah. 
so so that's the thing. Whilst yeah. rugby is growing, um, it's not really a career. It's not. It's 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 something that you do yeah. and that you you need the discipline to do. But it doesn't quite have that same. I mean, you know, the the allure of playing for the All Blacks is, is just is just something that so many kids will sacrifice everything they have for. Yeah. Whereas here, life is, you know, people are more focused on their, on their studies and their careers and, and it, rugby is secondary. Now, there are some who, who really do focus on it and want to make careers of it, but they're few and far between. And rugby in Germany, um, what kind of imprint does it have in local sports fans? So that rugby, it seems, has been... Traditionally, even in Ireland, you know, when I, when I was going up as well, when you were going up, rugby was fourth choice sport. Um, people went into it, whether what's depending on what school you were in, or if your father played with a club or your your brothers, and there was some kind of, you know, it, strays didn't find their way into rugby. Let's kind of put it that way, um, mm. where they always went into yeah. football. What's it like in Germany? Can it attract those? Let's call them strays, people that have no connection to the sport at all. How do they find out about Germany? Can you tell us a bit about the landscape on players, where they come from? Yeah, it's it's very much here in Germany. It's it's, it's a large country, but the rugby is very much in small pockets. Um, so here in Heidelberg, it's a city of one hundred and fifty thousand people. Forty thousand of them are students, and we have five clubs. Three of them are professional. Uh, Hanover, Berlin has some good clubs, but it's very sparse out. Um, and located around these central hubs. So in these cities, yes, rugby is growing and yes, rugby is getting bigger. But like you said, it's still fourth or fifth choice sport. You know, once yeah. you get out uh, outside of Heidelberg, you know, there's a there's a city 15 minutes away with population of almost 400,000 from here. And there's not there's no rugby there. Yeah, it doesn't have an imprint at all. It's it's there's uh, it's ice hockey, it's handball. Um, and a little bit of uh, football. Steve, do you want to jump into the bit of the controversy? Well, I do, but the first bit before I get into that is um, is the Georgian under-18 team has gone away and they've won the Europe-wide under-18 competition. The Rugby World Cup for under-20s was held in Georgia recently, and Georgia are the darlings of world rugby at the moment. This, you know, let's be honest, they're the ones, that we, two, yeah, yeah, the, the, the ones the that we want to get up here, yeah, the bright lights. Is this under-age, sort of the age group rugby spreading it's you know it's into germany into spain that you that you've seen it or into portugal and is our structures being put in place or is it just a talented athlete can come along and they can sort of get together and have a crack because what george has um, done is incredible it, yeah no what the, the it's it's a bit of both um the distractions for 17 year olds playing rugby are a lot less than a 23-year-old. So yes, uh, Georgia's done well. I think the the under-18s championship just happened there a couple of days ago. The under-20s Europe championship is coming up in um, maybe a week or so, so around April. Um, I think I, I talk about them a lot because from experience, but you look at Portugal. So P- Portugal won the under-20s in Europe last year. They went to the uh, under-20s trophy in Uruguay. And they lost in the final against Japan in it. Their under 18s as well, I think, came third. They lost to Georgia. So it's a country because all the, the talented kids and there's huge numbers of children playing rugby in Portugal. Like um, in Lisbon alone, there's five or six clubs which have 400 members. This is and incredible. 350, 350 of them would be under 18s. 
Wow. So their youth team, yeah, their youth teams, because Lisbon's a small city, their youth teams are able to train once or twice a week year round and then get into camp properly. Yeah. But like I said, you have to choose between being a rugby player or being a doctor. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a hard choice to make. And they, they're putting out really, really talented uh, youngsters, same for Georgia, same for Spain, but then they kind of lose them to the, uh, to the senior game because I found that's the biggest difference is that there's no real like under 20s or under 21s or 23s set up. It's generally youth rugby because that's where a lot of the funding is from world rugby, I assume. There's youth rugby and then there's senior rugby. Um, and you know, like in New Zealand, the, the, the Colts like, is, is such a huge part of the culture. Mm, yep. That's where, you know, you had your, your Canterbury 19s. I know that was one of the most important teams to make when I was there. Um, and there's, it's just kind of missing that step, uh, which is keeping the players in the game and helping them, you know, put on a bit of weight and, and get used to the contact levels, you know. Because if you're a talented 17, 18-year-old and you're 85 kilos... And now all of a sudden you have to start going up a two meter tall, 125 kilo lock. It's not going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that changes the landscape for a coach as well. You know, having to deal with that yeah. kind of, but yeah. like, how do you develop a player when you, when you know that you have to throw him in at, at senior level and you can't mind him for a while? Eddie O'Sullivan was talking to us about that at capping guys, even at test level. You've got it. You can't just throw them in there. You've got to mind a lot of these guys and... If you expose them too early, you break them. And I'm sure in, in that kind of scenario you're talking about, is, you know, it could be very similar at a yeah, lower level. It's, it's interesting that they, you see it in a lot of sports in a lot of countries, and I presume it happens here in New Zealand if it's not down the path of becoming an all-black or going into playing rugby league or being an elite cricketer. Sports will lose players. They, yeah. they, it, it just happens because the, the career path isn't there. People want to go off and do, you know, be a doctor or go and work at the grandfather's law firm or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and they can't, you know, the parents are probably saying you can't you stop stop playing that, that game, yeah. you know. Again, uh, they don't even know the, the rules of. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've exactly. Ne- I've never seen before. So there's, there's yeah. different struggles that, that we can't comprehend in the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship where rugby is sort of part of, well, certainly down here it's part and parcel of the of the blood sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so the big, I guess the big question that came out of, you know, of the Rugby Championship or the Europe Rugby Championship this year was there was so much hype around that last game, the Belgium-Spain game. Spain win, they go to the World Cup. They don't win, Romania go to the World Cup, and as it transpired, there we, we, all, we all know what happened. Um, Spain lost the match. There's not a lot we can do about that. Um, probably not a lot the Spanish can do about it. I, I sort of likened it without having seen it. Um, the story's coming out to the Thierry Henry hand goal. Um, against the Irish, and they could uh, scream and shout and everything, but it's not going to yeah. get you to the World Cup. And then what happens after that? So, really wanted to touch on not the, the controversy of stuff because our opinions are really irrelevant. What's um, breeding the controversy is that the, the, the yeah. referee and the two touch or assistant referees, touch judges, were Romanian. Yeah, we're Romanian, yeah. and so Romania get an advantage from that. Yeah, so I sh- probably should have pointed that out, but. The fallout has there been, or what what's happening on the ground there in Europe? Has or is this is it sort of being swept under the mat, or how, how is this working? Because it's made a lot of noise globally. Yeah, it, it's the the optics on it uh, really aren't great. Um, 
So I think there's there's two separate things which is being dealt with at the moment. There is, like you said, the ref the Romanian refereeing team, and the fact that Spain requested a change of referee back in February oh. and it was denied. Okay. Yeah. So rugby Europe rugby Europe said that well that we've we've already allocated a referee so we cannot change it. Um, and then the Spanish behaviour after the game. But uh, but I watched that game and um, mentally uh, Spain just really didn't perform. So after the first or second penalty went against them, you could see that they were very agitated, that they were letting their, um, they felt like they're being persecuted and, and they played up to that. You know, it's yeah. like that, um, uh, it was just a vicious cycle. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I know World Rugby is looking into it. Um, I know the Romanian coach or used to be the coach Lynn Howells has resigned and he said that he hopes that there's nothing there's no funny business yeah. I think were the words he used I don't imagine there, there, yeah. there will be um, but it just you're right it just doesn't look good um, and now the second thing that sorry go ahead no and there's a distance isn't there Gordon between World Rugby and Europe Championship or the Cup is they didn't World Rugby don't select the referees for this competition no, 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 yeah. they don't. No, so it's all it's all run and organised by by Rugby Europe. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, the second thing, which is so some, I guess it's a Russian whistleblower to use the terms these days, um, found out that the Belgians fielded an ineligible player against Germany, and this was just after Tahiti were kicked out of the qualification for fielding an ineligible player. And they did some investigating, and it seems that uh, Romania had a Tongan 10, I think a Sioni Faka Sayola or something. He played sevens for Tonga, moved to Romania, and didn't actually play in the sevens Olympic qualifications. So he's technically ineligible. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. So now... Yeah. Yeah. So now Romania is looking at possibly forfeiting the games he played in and then it came up it came to light that spain fielded had two players which were potentially ineligible but from my understanding was um the way the second team works so the spanish players played for france but they did not play against an official second team so technically they're not captured to that country um wow okay and i think I think World Rugby ruled, or Spain went to World Rugby with the two players, because it falls down to the union. The union have to decide if the player is eligible or not, and then they face the consequences if he's not. So Spain went to World Rugby. They gave the details. World Rugby said it's okay, but they never went to Rugby Europe, who is the actual uh, judge of the matter. So there's potentially, it could be, um, if everything goes pear-shaped. Russia could qualify as, as Europe number one. Germany could go into the repechage as number two. Wow. And the whole thing is up on the board. So if you look at the fixture list, um, the Portugal, so the winner of the trophy, Portugal have not had their game organized against the loser of the championship yet, which should be Germany. Which is what I asked at the beginning so, and you said it might yeah. move around. Wow, I didn't, I didn't expect this. Yeah. No, so it's... Um, this is madness. I know. 
it, it, it's it, it's difficult, and yeah. and this is also part of the factor why I mean why why would the Six Nations entertain this? No, no, I know George is not really involved, but you know the Six Nations is the historic brand, and and they're all about making money, and yeah. and when the game is brought into disrepute, it becomes an advertiser's nightmare. Yeah, um, it's a very very. So good I, point. I honestly yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Sp- Spain could go to the World Cup. Russia could go to the World Cup. Um, it, it could be Romania. We, we don't know. Is there really a don't time know. frame on this? I, I presume there is. It has to be resolved before September 2019. April. But um, yeah, um, I know. I know. Rugby Europe and World Rugby have had meetings on it. Uh, I know they were scheduled to give answers, and I know the answers are being postponed two or three times. Wow! So yeah, this is like, it's all over the place. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there will be a lot of transparency in those discussions. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit yeah. dark, isn't it? Wow! Um, I'm not, uh, I'm actually a little bit shocked. I didn't expect that when we um, set up this Skype call. I think this has been a good overview for us, Gordon, and and hopefully for um, for people watching and that have pretty much like us no idea what's going on underneath these this tier of the Six Nations. And as it's for us, like we're lifelong rugby supporters and we have no idea. So for those of you out there, guys, that knows a lot, lot more than us, please excuse our ignorance. And Gordon has got through quite a lot in this short video. And um, I know you're a very busy man as director of rugby, Gordon, as well. So thanks very much yeah. for this. I guess, Gareth, see, like if, if anyone out there knows a lot more than we do about uh, tier two rugby that's happening in Europe, get over to the 1014, spread the word, share a story, get it on their community journalism, because I can tell you right now, there are a lot of people out there wanting to hear about it. Yeah, and we got Gordon's Twitter account there if you want to join up and see what Gordon is doing in his um, voyage. Um, and again, he's quite an ambitious coach and is doing a lot of traveling in the world to and working under some very impressive people yeah so thanks a lot for that gordon and um yeah as per usual guys like comment share spread the word and um we'll be back cheers